Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Join us as we explore Tolkien and all the ages of Middle-earth with your hosts from TheOneRing.com, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. I'm back. You didn't. You guys actually didn't know that I was on vacation in Arkansas <laughs> for two weeks. Arkansas. Who figured who goes to Arkansas? Arkansas was amazing. It was beautiful. I've never been there before, so we decided to go. And uh, I have still never been there. No, no. You should go. There are many things to see in the uh, southern Ozarks. I guess that's where it is. Anyway, it's a. It's a, there's yeah. Uh, subtle beauty there. Anyway, sorry guys. Hey, I have to also change the uh, change the intro. But since we have talented people who help us do that, I have to contact them and get, I'm sorry, Dan, we got it. Like for now, we got to get one without Dan for now, just to have, because Dan will be here for a little while. Uh, but yeah, we got to change the intro. We are back into discussing uh, those and, and listening to the interviews from 2003 that I was a part of uh, from the wondering.com. And we got to do uh, roundtable interviews with the writers, uh, Peter Jackson and the uh, actors in the film. And so this is actually, I think this is actually probably my favorite one just because hmm. she uh, maybe Peter, Peter Jackson's still my favorite, but she, um, she spoke with authority, maybe not with the proper response that I wanted all the time, but she, she knew what she was talking about. Um, whereas a lot of the, the, the actors were spewing the same lines they gave everybody all the time. Like she was a little more thoughtful about it. I agree. I feel like she had her pulse on the, on the real thread of the making of the movies. And she wasn't, overly protective in her answer she wasn't yeah. overly media centric she seemed really really genuine i mean you were there i was it, yeah. you were literally there 20 yeah. years ago but but um yeah there was it was um it was nice to listen to because she, i didn't feel like i was talking to some media person or someone that right. had had their pat answers already she did see she, she seemed very genuine yeah yeah and actually the, there's a second person with her marty walsh who was the second unit director on the films who you also hear in this give him give his takes but it's mostly a, a discussion with uh philippa Boynes, who of course is is one of the three screenwriters along with fran walsh and peter jackson of these three films um is there a, is there a connection between fran walsh and marty walsh i was no. kind of curious nope. okay no no Not relation i know of i don't think All so right. well maybe I didn't I mean, look it both, up. It never occurred to me. They're both New Zealanders. All right. Yeah, Somebody in the good. comments below, like, look it up and tell us if there's something that you found. But I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to go stalking Fran or oh, Marty. Walsh no, no, no. This. No. I was just kind of. You curious shouldn't either. <laughs> no one should stalk <laughs> no anyone one. over this. No one. No one at all. All right. So we're gonna we're gonna listen to this, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about her, some of her responses, and then in our extended edition, we're gonna get more into um, two things. One. What went wrong with The Hobbit? Because she was one of the writers on The Hobbit, and we can say, you know, a lot went right with The Lord of the Rings. Yep. Especially for me, from the fourth and fifth viewing, I, I accepted things, and I was okay with it. Uh, but in The Hobbit, so much went wrong after they left the Shire. And uh, um, I think that's worth discussing. So in our extended edition, we're going to go ahead and listen to that. And if you want to, we're going to talk about that. And if you want to do that, go to theonering.com slash member, become a member, join us on Discord. You can get the extended podcast too right into your app. We also uh, publish it privately on YouTube. So you get links to that both in your emails. We send out an email with it. And uh, as soon as it's up, we put it in the Discord chat and alert everybody there too that, that they can go and watch it. It's usually a day or two before it's released via the podcast. So go ahead and do that. And uh, 
you can listen to it early and you can listen to it um, and uh, listen to the questions that you ask. So you can ask questions in Discord that we will answer. And that's going to become especially important because what we're also going to talk about in our extended podcast is the next thing we're going to do in a little more detail, which is the complete list of film changes, how that's going to work, uh, the process for that. And as we prep for that, we're going to actually take a one-week hiatus between now and the first published version of that. But you will, you'll still get a weekly podcast with us talking about the changes in it. But then um, we'll also be publishing it on YouTube in various ways, too, so that uh, YouTube and Rumble and anything else I can automatically sync to YouTube to make it easier for me uh, in order to uh, get them in sort of smaller bite-sized pieces if you want to as well. But we'll talk about that in detail in the extended podcast. So go to thewonery.com slash member and listen in there. And uh, let's listen to Philippa and Marty, my, my buddies. <laughs> well, are they? That's good to know. Yeah, I'm sure they remember me. I'm sure mm-hmm. they do. Oh, yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. So how long did you shoot? Uh, well, not, how long so have we long. been shooting? Yeah. 927 <laughs> days was the last count. 927 I think for the actual uh, film, we shot continuously really over four years. But, you know. We had breaks at Christmas and stuff for about 920 odd days, which is, I think, a record in England. It certainly wrecked me. We have to ask you all the questions we have for uh, Fran. Fran, yep. Take it Did she contribute to the script and how much did Peter? <laughs> Probably you were there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Uh, uh, in terms of. Uh, I think you don't know, there's nowhere that Fran stops and Peter begins and Peter stops and Fran um, begins. Because what I found is a lot of people assume, for example, with um, weird things, people assume Heavenly Creatures was like Fran. And I made that assumption that that was her. But in terms of the story, you know, there's two worlds. But it's not all her, just as all the action in Lord of the Rings is not all Peter, you know. they, They just are the most incredible collaborative Units that I've never seen in action, that's for sure. And they work seamlessly. And, then and the they actors, trust each other. The actors added a lot to it. To the script, to the story. Uh, no. <laughs> that's what they're telling us. <laughs> they work intimate with you every night. I love it. I love it. Actually, there's probably not one single ad libbed line in that entire script. Except for John Reese Davies, Gimli. Mm-hmm. No. To work with, they were great to work with in terms of. I love that they feel that way though. That's nice. Yeah. That sounds patronising, but it's true. Was there a line in the movie that was that good? Uh, from yeah, some of Gimli. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But I think I think John was probably the only person who managed to do that. Yeah. Was that the second yeah. film or the third? No, one? all three. All three. Yeah. More so in the second and third. It seems like that kind of guy. Yeah, he yeah. absolutely is. You never knew what was going to come out of his mouth. He had great. to in that costume. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But he had, you know, a very, uh, a, well, not a tiny role, but a, a smallish role that, that um, yeah. But you know, what I think the actors are trying to say is, just, just in terms of protecting Fran and my own contribution, is that, that we were inclusive because you have to be and nobody cares about the characters as, that, as much as the people that are playing them. And um, part of the process, because for a lot of them, they didn't understand this world and they got thrown into this incredible... They used to get off the plane and go and do Tolkien 101 with one of us, you know. Trying to bring to life this world was critical that these people understood the characters that they were playing and could play them on a level 
and in such a way that they were very real. So, yeah. But that's funny. So you were talking that aficionado in the story? Well, sort of, I keep getting attributed as being this talking expert, which I'm not at all. I just love the book. Yeah. What do you say about some of the uh, fans who critique the movies? Well, it's, we've actually got away really lightly. It's been incredibly good, you know, because given how well-loved these books are and how um, and what kind of esteem they have, it's, it's amazing to us that, you know, I thought contracts were going to be taken out. <laughs> it's, been, it's been good. It's been pretty, it's been, uh, what I love is the way that the majority of them have embraced and understood that the changes that were made were all to do with making it work on film and nothing to do with being arbitrary or, or you know, anything like that. So hopefully the spirit of the books has been kept intact. I think that's what most of them have acknowledged. And some of the changes, the biggest changes, are just accepted, like the age of Frodo. Frodo should be 50. Mm -hmm. And he's played, well, he's played by, at the time, a 19-year-old boy. So, you know, that just was seamlessly accepted, which was great. The one thing, the spirit of the story that I've picked mm -hmm. up on is the Shire. The Hobbits wanting to get back to the, the Shire, mm -hmm. which... Um, I see as a place where they were happy and safe. Mm -hmm. uh, they asked each person who's come in here, asked mm -hmm. you, where is your shire? What is that, that safe, comfortable, happy place for you? Definitely Wellington, New Zealand. Definitely. It's very, <coughs> very, very, very warm. I think that, that warmth and generosity of spirit that's in there. And the sense of community was, was born out on... On, um, by that parade, that ticker tape parade that, that happened in 100,000 people in a city of about 400,000 turned out, wow. which was incredible. It was so much fun. Can you so much fun. make it a, even more specific? Is there, when you go back there, is there a particular pub or a garden or a beach that, that you, you go back there and you say, this is my shire? Um, ah, but just yeah, there's, there's, there's <laughs> no. I'm just trying to think. I think I think my garden, you know, the garden is, is, is very. It's, it's, it's got little bits of English country garden with this great great mix of sort of slightly wild New Zealand coastal sort of stuff going on. So um, no, I live by the sea. So you know, keep the windows open at night and you hear the sea rolling in and just across the road and it's very beautiful. We have big, huge vista amazing views with these great hills and it's pretty empty. The land's pretty empty so it's easy to easy to sort of feel that you're in a in a in a backwater in a good way. You is work it for the New Zealand Tourism Bureau? <laughs> <laughs> is it inspiring for you or distracting as a writer? To to, to live somewhere that, yeah. Actually, actually it's interesting. To be completely honest with you, I didn't feel like I was living in Wellington for a very long time because it felt like we were in Middle Earth, because I was working with Phantom Peter, and because I was dealing with these, you know, international actors, and and we would take a lot of meetings for, we'd come over here quite a lot. So for a long while, it didn't feel like I was living there. It felt like uh, it took a long time to actually connect to the place that I was living in, definitely. But now, it's home. Home is, home is shy for anybody, I believe. And I feel sorry for anyone who doesn't have that sense of, of home. I mean, a genuine, you know, um, feeling of there are a lot of people out there who, who don't have that. Mm. You've known Peter a long time. How, how do you know when he's upset? 
upset or when you, something's not working well. Marty's probably known him longer than I do. Yeah. How do you know? How do you know? Pete, Pete goes very quiet, I think. Mm-hmm. That, that's bigger worry. He's not a yeller. No, no, I never heard so him. He didn't say anything all of a sudden. For a long time. I've worked with Peter since 15, 16 years. Mm-hmm. And I've heard him um, swear in anger once in, in memory. And Philip's quite yeah. right. He actually, you know, he's upset because he becomes quiet and kind of withdrawn, which isn't like him. He's always quite good. Yeah, he's bouncy. He's, he's very friendly. Loves <laughs> laughing. He's a very yeah. funny guy. Um, loves playing practical jokes and things like that. And, and uh, and he's patient too. Yeah. For someone who's actually quite driven in a in, in a mm-hmm. good way, he he's actually incredibly patient. He has an understanding of the process that you have to go through, and he allows it to happen. But I think I think, and I see a lot of excited in, in um of Fran and Pete, and you know that's the whole true throughout. I mean, this mm-hmm. is not somebody who just goes and takes it out. You know, you know. He, I mean, he he. he I can't believe the stress that guy has shouldered. Unbelievably broad shoulders. Yeah, I don't know how, how I don't know how he did it. Personally, it was very stressful mm. for everyone. Yeah. In my unit, we created a, a military and special effects unit that's now arguably and, and debatably mm-hmm. the best in the world, but we started from scratch four years ago. Right, we didn't right. have a history of that sort of shooting. And you know, one of the things that kind of got me through was just knowing that Peter was dealing with lots, with lots more stress, yeah. and he was coping. So you know, I didn't have a right to lose it or give up. And I think that's a, kind of yeah. a true thing. It, you know, part of the reason Peter, and that sounds wrong because he's not loud, but he's, he's almost charismatic leader for us as Kiwis because he is so mm-hmm. down to earth. He doesn't have ego. <coughs> he doesn't impinge his ego on anyone. No, he or, and he, he just. No, it's about the work. That's when he'll get angry. Mm-hmm. It's about the work. It's when people stuff around or they don't make the work the priority because... Or don't do the homework. Or don't... Yeah, don't... Yeah. So for him it's about the work and, make, and doing good work and, and he gets very frustrated when people get careless. Or, or for them, they're more worried about the fame or fortune that drives them up. But anyway, he's, he's a very easygoing guy. Has he change? I mean, now he's a... No, not much. I think the main thing is Somebody said, actually, it was his agent, King Hammond, said the only thing that he's seen change about Peter is the height of the gate that he has at his house because now he's had to shut the world mm-hmm. out a little bit more, mm-hmm. which is true. That's mm-hmm. the thing that's changed. He just can't go out anymore. He just no, can't it's not probably the saddest thing. He yeah. used to be, up until recently, recently, be able to go into town and just go to his favourite shops and walk around without being mm-hmm. acknowledged, particularly. He said maybe the old smile away, but now a little more, a little more you know... Um, he changed the shape of his disguises and he put his hat on. And he seriously thought that he was unrecognisable. But all that was sticking out of the head and the he was sticking out from under the hat. And the glasses were just a different round shape. And I said, dude, completely not, totally recognisable. And he was like, no, 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 nobody will recognise me. Uh, <laughs> I didn't also notice in this film he got a little bit it's almost like, you know, back in Luther Feeble's days when Gollum eats that fish. I mean it's oh, a little more way. extreme, yeah. It sounds yeah. like That was Fran actually. Oh really? Yeah. That's great. Yeah, she has a little dark side, I think. <laughs> <laughs> she does. Have you seen the goat? 
I've had him tell me a story before about this ghost in a house that oh, he used yeah. to live in in Wellington. Oh, yeah. appeared in his bed, and his friend said she knew about it. I was there when they, I was around when they, um, when, when those stories first came out, and they totally, I mean, they, they're not having you off, that's the question. They totally oh, no, I believed it when he talked about it. I mean, yeah. they're really sincere. I wouldn't want to, judging. <laughs> I, I did spend a lot of time in that flat and never, never swam like that. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, well, there's been some uh, talk about um, in the extended edition uh, extras mm-hmm. about uh, what exactly you meant when you called Tolkien an amateur writer. Right. Uh, and it's just been tossed around a little bit. And that was frantic, right? <laughs> <laughs> What, what we mean by that, because we've both said it actually at various times, is that um, he didn't sit out. He he didn't sit out to to write a novel in right. the same way that professional writers. He's do. not a novelist. He's not a novelist. He is an incredibly, I would say, almost unsurpassed storyteller. However, mm-hmm. and that to say he he was an amateur, it was it, it is only to the extent that I think that's where a lot of the heart of the story came from. A lot of the truth, it's an incredibly truthful story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not slick. He needed an editor. You know, God knows the amount of repetition we came across when you actually get into those books. Sure. It's just, and was a big problem for us. And a lot of the stuff he did in reportage, like, you know, he, he, you know, he had a great idea. And instead of going back and rewriting, like, for example, you could tell that he had something, he had this wonderful idea about how Gandalf escaped from Saruman. Why didn't he do that whole Saruman-Gandalf confrontation live? Why didn't you follow mm-hmm. Gandalf too? Why was it in reportage? You know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, and I can't help thinking that things like that, or certain things like that, because he suddenly had this great idea, and so he decided to tell it as reportage mm-hmm. instead of taking you there as an audience. And I think an editor would have said, you know, take the audience and tell the story from that with more immediacy. Maybe that's what an editor would have said, but um, um, would have been easier for us. Right. <laughs> but then, but then, you know, that just that was his privilege, and and I think what's so great about this is that he didn't compromise anything. He told the story the way he wanted to tell it, which is why it is as rich as it is, and why it is as personal as it is, because it's a very personal story. The stuff in that book that works the best is that it is very, very personal. I think the relationship between Frodo and Sam, I think the the whole the tragedy of the Shire was very much uh, some things that he genuinely felt, you know, drawn from his own experiences, which is why it's often I think is what is it? it's what you can attribute the success of these stories to. Because you spend a lot of time, uh, I know uh, the one amazing thing about these stories about the movies is that I mean there's so much action. Yeah. But. When I was in the theater, you hear you hear sniffling and crying and things that you know don't people don't associate with the Jerry Bruckheimer movie. No. But this year, this year can have those moments, you know, when Layla grows up the moment. I like. I think it's. I think it's about. We tried not to manufacture the sentiment. We tried to find the real yeah. sentiment that is in these books. We had to be true to that, and I think it works on that level. And hopefully, I think a lot of it can be attributed to the performances of those actors because they're just incredible. Yeah. Elijah Wood, God bless him, makes me cry still yeah. after having seen that. I don't know how many times. And Sean Astin, and 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 people got into the spirit of what Peter was trying to do. Don't you think? Oh, Which is tell these stories. As if they were real, find the honesty in it mm-hmm. so that it is not—it is real sentiment, not sentimental. That it's not manufactured emotion. Peter hates that. Mm-hmm. In fact, he just 
he always destroys my stuff that's like that, which is great, which is what a, a writer needs. And he makes you go deeper. And he makes you find the truth at that moment um, as a writer, which is great, which is what you need. Because, boy, I could turn out, you know, yeah. some stuff that, you know, you can do it off the, You get in the groove and you can do it off the top of your head. It's probably good enough for some people, but it's not good enough for people. Or Franny. In the third film, how do you think that works best with Sam and Chris? I think um, what I like about that is that um, Sam has, I think, it, I think it is an understanding, a shared understanding, which is why we deliberately put in at the beginning of the movie Sam's belief that there would be a return journey was very important. We couldn't, you didn't want to pong it, mm-hmm. you just wanted to slip it in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't want it, we didn't want to do a big, huge setup, just get it in there. That, that Sam has an expectation that there will be a return journey. And that, I think that little scene where he says, I don't think there's going to be a return journey, and Frodo looks at him, something passes between them, which Frodo actually knew already, which is there's no going, there is no going back. They weren't going to survive this. Mm-hmm. And that's how they go forward. That's how they proceed. Um, and that's part of their stoicism and heroism as characters. Mm-hmm. And the only reason they can do that is because they're together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a lovely bond and it's lovely to be able to do that between two male characters without any other kind of political implication or sexual implication on there. Yeah. It's just the truth of a friendship, a real genuine friendship. And it's quite clean and, you know. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think it plays to the experience of the author who, who obviously went, and even though he hated the allegory of the World Wars, mm-hmm. I think you can feel this was written by somebody mm-hmm. who went through something Definitely. like the trenches of World War I. Right. Yeah. Peter wet our appetite just slightly about King Kong. Yeah. Okay. Can you wet our appetite a little bit more? Oh, man, he's got some ideas that are just going to blow people's minds. It's going to be so exciting. Yeah. Is it going to be a little on the uh, the darker side? Like, uh, yeah, there's some interesting concepts being batted around at the moment. We're in the fun stage and we haven't made any mistakes yet. We just... If <laughs> 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 anything's possible, then, you know, um, but the... But it's still basically a beauty and the beast. Story. I think it is. I think it is. Although, again, finding the truth of that is going to be interesting. What that actually means. What does that really mean? And um, but what's great about it is, is I love the fact that we're going to go to the thirties, which is an extraordinary <coughs> period of history, mm-hmm. a very dark decade, quite corrupt, with the decade that the world shrank. You know, and the possibility of Kong almost vanished from the world was in the nineteen thirties because. Deepest, darkest Africa existed until that plane journey, which you know meant you could cross the Atlantic mm-hmm. in a day. You know, I mean, all of that stuff started to happen, and the world started to shrink, and the possibility of there being an island mm-hmm. like Skull Island out there vanished from this earth. And so, what you now have in our world today is a kind of glib fantasy, you know, like, but it was real. Yeah. It was real. You know, people didn't know what, what what was down the Amazon or lurking underneath, you know, whatever. That's going to be fun. You have see you, that the love you? triangle? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> What's the underpinning? What's always going to come off worse? Scripting the Hobbit at all? Oh, God. Do you know the biggest nightmare with that is, this is an interesting thing because people don't understand is, is you know, the Fellowship was nine characters on screen. Just imagine that. With the names that are similar, <laughs> shoot me now. <laughs> You'll be doing the minis, by you? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Was it? Was we weaving in the No, no, no. So a lot um, different, a lot different from our previous podcast with everyone except Peter, um, because she clearly is not, she does not have the kind of answers that an actor has. She has, she's the, she's the uh, able to answer from the behind the scenes and behind the story perspective, which I really but like. She did get that question about the Shire. She did, and she was instant with the answer because, and which made sense. Um, she said her answer was uh, Wellington and the Shire, which I mean, she's. But- a na- she's not a native yeah. of them, but she it still wasn't good enough for the asker for the journalist who asked it she's like yeah wellington isn't good enough where no specifically lady where is your shire tell me i i don't accept these generalizations of cities i don't know i just I was she so, was we were really also tired of it that journalist was really attached to that question i, <laughs> I should have found the article that she wrote about that like i, I don't i don't, I don't <laughs> anyway, anyway, so yeah, so her answers were were far more thoughtful, starting with that whole Shire idea. I like maybe let's talk a little bit about her whole ad living thing because that was, if you listen to it, that was sort of a funny. Uh, I think I think did I ask? I think I asked that question too. So like, who asked? Uh, who who ad libbed in the film and what made it into the movies? And she said like, well, nothing, except for John Reese Davies. Um, and so, uh, and, and then she, then somebody, somebody commented that, uh, well, that's not what the actors are telling us. And she's like, oh, isn't that, isn't that cute of them? <laughs> because uh, She tried to walk that back a little bit, but she was like, no, 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 no. We didn't, we might've edited out any sort of things, but I, I, they never, um, they never revealed what the ad-libs actually were. I don't think I've looked and I can't find what the ad-libs hmm. were. I'm sure, I'm sure Gimli's like, you know, maybe it's the, uh, Dwarves are very dangerous over short distances. We're natural born sprinters or the burp. I don't know. I don't know what else, but yeah. Actually, the 
burp I don't think would have been because the whole, the whole scene point of it was, it was watching watching his face as he as he transitioned from drunk to burp. That's true. So, That's true. So, but uh, but yeah, the some of his lines might have. Um, but like she said, probably most of it edited out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and which... frankly, frankly, I think is good because I don't well, I don't care that much for actors ad libbing Tolkien. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm sure if. Um... If Christopher Lee was there, he's like, John, you're not allowed to speak that way. This is, <laughs> this is not part of the book, John. Um, it, it is interesting because she she referenced how highly collaborative, at the beginning she referenced how highly collaborative Fran and Peter were. And then she talked um, a little bit about her own relationship in the writing with what how Peter interacts with her. But I'm not going to say anything more about that because that's the extended podcast. So uh, subscribe, people, <laughs> yeah. so you can hear you can hear what yeah. we think about what went wrong with the Hobbit versus um, versus this. Um, but she, funnily enough, she actually also to to prep another one of our podcasts coming in a few weeks. Um, she also mentioned one of the major changes in the beginning, um, which is the age of Frodo. She me- she mm. mentions that Frodo. Um, was supposed to be 50 years old, um, and she, he's being played by a 19-year-old, or at least at the t- time of the initial shooting, 19 years old, and um, which is which was good. I mean, like, I well, we'll get into that in a few weeks as far as that kind of what that change means and why, whether we like it or not. Um, but I did like the fact that she she called herself not a Tolkien expert, but just a lover of Tolkien, mm-hmm. which which and but she knew she had enough details down, which. From the beginning, if you hear the furry first line, or one of the few, uh, one of the one of the first lines, mm-hmm. she references that they've been shooting for nine hundred and twenty-seven days at that point, which is a lot of shooting. <laughs> That's like two and a half years straight if you do seven days a week of shooting. That's yeah. incredible, incredible. Yeah, and and you can imagine there. I mean, they they say they at least Ian McKellen said that E. Peter Jackson was rereading the book every night and what they were shooting the next day to try and still get the spirit and the idea right. And so you can imagine she was on set too how much she probably knew the books inside and out. And granted, she might not know some of the details that, that in our experience reading on fairy stories or the letters of Tolkien or uh, the histories of middle earth and, and all the tertiary books that were published, um, you know, after he passed away. Uh, but she has a knowledge of who the characters are. And, and I think she, like she talks about trying to hold to um, the way Tolkien wanted to tell the story, right? Not the way that they want to tell the story, which is, which is exactly. like 20 years later is still really different from what people think today. I mean, even in, 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 um, uh, in, in colleges and universities, right. Fiction is there to be uh, molded into what you want to make it like what you want it to say. And that's not, and I like that, that that's not where they started from. We're not, we're not putting our messages into this. Um, and right away after she says that it, the question was, you know, the, the question about Sam and Frodo's relationship was brought up. Uh, well, well, exactly. By who? Who was it? Who brought that up, Jonathan? Is that was that me? <laughs> you? I think you started. You <laughs> yeah. you actually. I was very impressed. I I could other some of the other interviews. I I couldn't really recognize who. Yeah. This one. This one. I recognized your voice, and um, I was I liked it. You did you did a great job. You asked the kind of questions that journalists should be asking, um, as that opposed to qu- questions that a six that a six year old would ask, like <laughs> where's your shire? Like but, why did you call Tolkien an amateur author? Oh yeah, that was great. That was great. Very, very nice journalistic, um, you know, a little pushing, um, you know, and she, uh, I liked her answer to that. She said, um, first she tried to, she joked and tried to say it was Fran that had done that. <laughs> that was and it wasn't her. And then she admitted, ah, it's both of us. And here's what we meant. Um, she said, first of all, he's 
when I say he's an amateur um, writer, I, I, it's important that you understand that he's an unsurpassed storyteller. So that's the, which was good. Good to start mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. But she she referenced the fact that she thought that there were a lot of things that he put into the book eventually as they came to him um, that if he had been a pro, a professional novelist, he would have gotten more pushback from his editors to say, fill this out. And she gave one clear example, which was she felt that he, he it kind of popped into his head that so the the initial um, encounter, or at least the the violent encounter between um, Gandalf and Saruman, their confrontation that happens where Gandalf ends up being imprisoned, mm-hmm. um, and and she thought that if he he had been a quote unquote professional writer, his editor would have basically would have you know told him, hey, look, let's fill this out, let's 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 do first person on this, not just be a reported fact that yeah, like Gandalf just reports on it in the Council of Elrond. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't. Um, so, so she was, that's, that was an example. And, and I understand the distinction I think that she's trying to go for, which is the distinction between someone who makes their living sitting and writing and Tolkien of course was a professor and he made his living as an academic, which, and then did writing on the side until a certain point. I don't know what, what year that was, but, um, where he, when he retired, no, I, don't think he retire? the, I don't think it was till the sixties. Yeah. If I remember right. It was like or mid early to mid sixties. Like, like he was, I thought it was 60, six, yeah, 64, 65. Anyway, yeah, that sounds but, about right. Um, yeah, so he was mostly through most of his, you know, he writes the Hobbit in the mid thirties. So he, and the Lord of the Rings begins in the late thirties and through the fifties. And then, and so, you, you, you know, while he's writing Lord of the Rings, he is indeed a professional academic, not a professional writer in that sense. Um, but yeah, what do you think of it? Well, I think that the idea that he, what is professional writing too? I mean, like a professional novel, uh, writing a professional novel is a framework that has been constructed over the last however many years. I'm not even like you, you would say even between the 73, uh, 71 years between now and when uh, the Lord of the Rings was first published, right? Things have changed, right? The, the, the novelization structures have changed things, the, the expectations. I mean, you can't go back and re reread, um, you know, Moby Dick and say like, Oh, this is exactly how it, no, you, you, you're reading entire chapters about how to, what whaling is like. Um, and they don't do that nowadays, but you still consider it one of the great novels of all time for one of the greatest storytellers who wrote not just Moby Dick, but other stories too. So uh, the idea that he's, he's not a professional, he's not a professional, he's, he's an amateur novelist, maybe, because he only wrote one. He didn't practice that. But I wouldn't say like when it comes to writing with the amount that he did on the side, obviously, I wouldn't call him an amateur writer so much. I think he yeah, uses the words, words writer. Yeah, and I, I do think that... Um... I do think it's interesting that you say that because it does feel a little bit to me like her distinction is the same distinction that someone when I when someone first told me oh the uh, the, the athletes that are in the Olympics are amateur athletes they aren't the first. this is before the allowed they started allowing professional yeah, athletes yeah, 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 before, right. before the nineties um, in into the into and it was that distinction of oh sure they may be doing some of the best most impressive physical um, uh, feats in the world but they're just amateurs but they they don't get paid for their day job as a as a as an athlete so therefore they're they're just yeah. Yeah, right. So, right. So that, it can be a little bit of that that distinction, which yeah, is, and it, it might be that she was also trying to uh, validate some of the decisions they made based mm. on that, and which you know, uh, like about how a plot plot plotting and you know keeping Frodo young, like the timeline compression between you couldn't really do twenty years between uh, um, uh, as Frodo was waiting for Gandalf to return, right? Or however many years that was 20, 30? Seventeen. Seventeen. Okay. Twenty um yeah so um 
Yeah, it, it was funny because that was a big to do on our message boards back then about that leaked out. I don't remember where or what exactly it came from, but um, that uh, she called him an amateur writer and people were taking it's particularly on our website. People were taken aback and were like, well, ha, how do you? How well, dare you? And I feel like I understand that sentiment, too, because um, ultimately, what is uh, this kind of a novel? A novel is just storytelling. OK, yeah, so yeah. so it feels a little bit like a 20th century, late 20th century distinction to say he's an amateur writer. And the reason is because even his example, her example, rather, that she uses is one where she's referencing a, a the whole professional structure the commercialized structure around writing that yeah. has sort of yeah. sprung up in That's the mid 20th century. And, and so she, you know, thinking to herself, like if he had had this full structure, like a modern day fantasy author does, there were his, you know, parts would have been shorter, maybe, you know, I, I'm, and she didn't say this. I'm just yeah. imagining. You're, you're just, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there's, there are things that modern fantasy writers use and don't use that like i love your example moby dick because that's a great example of early storytelling don quixote is one of the earliest and when you see like the asides that that cervantes does in don quixote and Hmm. and and the others it it is unbelievable it goes on for like a chapter about ridiculous things that things we would find like no editor (laughs) would ever publish a book like that (laughs) can't put that in there exactly so so to me it's more of a modern um framework for for that distinction so i didn't i didn't i did i did i have to admit jonathan i did find it amusing that as part of your question you you had two a couple questions that as Mm -hmm. part of your other question you referenced Lilith running up a mumuk which was hilarious (laughs) um to me because i I, i'm beginning to think you have a little bit of an obsession with legolas here and i like always always um always focus hey that wasn't in the in the books the walking on snow thing I'll own. This one here, I, I will stand by it as yeah. a yeah. Uh, I just think that was still sort of silly. Like the the magical Legolas. I even then I I didn't I didn't like it a whole lot. But you know, uh my point was that um it was the emotional notes were hit in Return of the King, and that was where that's those are the hardest ones to hit. I mean, you can make it, you know, whiz bang action in two thousand three was not that hard to make. We already had Jerry Bruckheimer making the crazy big movies back in the day. Um but hitting the emotional notes of Frodo and Sam, of uh, Aragorn and Arwen, even of Faramir and Eowyn, right? These or or uh, Eowyn and Theoden, right? These these things that were really difficult. Even when you think Theoden, I mean Theoden is really a tertiary character in the movies, but his death scene is given its due, and I think a lot of people, even journalists, were surprised at at, at that. I mean, it was a three hour long film, um, but yeah, yeah, and you know, she 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 said that she she let Tolkien tell the story. She she wanted to keep it close to what he wrote. And that was one of the reasons why it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in her mind, that was one of the reasons why it worked. In the same way, that, that's why Sam and Frodo's relationship worked, because it was a real genuine friendship. There was It wasn't made to be anything else, anything romantic, like I'm sure today they would try and do, uh, or any other um, injection of modern sensibilities. Right. She was really, she, I liked it because she was really specific about that. And she said that, that yeah. off of your question, she said, she called out specifically the moment a few of the moments between Sam and Frodo. And she said specifically that there, that the reality of that relationship was based on stoicism, the stoicism, of the two, mm-hmm. their, their, their heroism and the bond of friendship that they had. And she specifically noted that the friendship, that she had nothing political there, nothing sexual. Yeah. Um, so, so, which is, you know, to me, I'm, I chuckle. I'm like, you know, so uh, Tolkien society can go suck. And I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Uh, yeah, that well, was close. Yeah, well, you almost pulled back well, real fast there. 
we'll edit that out. Maybe. <laughs> no, no, we won't. No, no. We'll keep that so, right in. So, yeah. All right. Well, so, I mean, I think um, she ends on not wanting to write The Hobbit, um, <laughs> which, which maybe she should have uh, stood yep, by after yep. the fact. Se- seems um, like her intuition. Right I mean, and, and her point was, yeah, like imagine 12 dwarves with all, you know, uh, three or four of them each have similar names altogether. So uh, that was her deal. But we're going to talk about that in the extended yep. podcast. We're going to talk about um, our complete list of film changes coming up. Um, and speaking of that, boy, I should have mentioned this earlier. Go to the onering.com slash changes. If there are changes we missed, you can submit them there and we will add them to the list and make sure that we address them. Uh, and I'm sure as we we publish them, um, we'll, we'll get more and more responses from people saying like, hey, what about this? And so we might have to go back and occasionally do some ones that we missed. But um, we'll get through it all. Go to the onewing.com slash changes for that. Go to the onewing.com slash member to hear this extended podcast. Join the discussion on Discord. We're finishing up Taliesin in our book club. Um, that's now meeting on Monday nights, I believe, at 9.30 Eastern, if I remember right. Maybe it's 10.30 Eastern. I can't remember. Something like that. But you'll find out if you become a member at theonewing.com slash member and join our Discord chat there. And for everybody else, bye-bye, freeloaders.